You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. Good morning. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1. Starting a new series today I'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, While you're turning there, I'm going to probably ask a silly question to any American citizen. Have you ever felt like your life was out of control? Ever felt like your life was not out of control? Maybe is how I should ask that question. You know, many of us live our lives, we grow up, we have this ideal, we have this picture of what life will look like. Nice little quaint house with a manicured lawn, perfectly obedient children, just sitting willfully listening to the sermon, just a controlled and comfortable schedule, plenty of leisure time for hobbies, and and none of that goes down the way we think. We struggle with parenting, we get to a point when we're in our mid-30s where our metabolism slows down and we actually have to start working to keep the weight off. We go in our garage to look for a tool, for that just that one tool you need to fix a job that you can't find because you didn't put it back where you got it from, or you blame it on your kid when you know it's really you. All the people that we love that we don't do well keeping in touch with. The ways we want to be reading our Bibles or praying and it just doesn't seem to enter into everyday life. And, And we get to a place where it just seems like darkness creeps in. Things get out of control. This world that we've created for ourselves isn't the controlled little environment we thought we would have. And and things get out of control. And something deep down in us says, it's it's just not the way it should be. And it's in those moments we we have a choice to take action, to make a difference, to to have a new beginning. And in not the same way, but in a similar way, John paints a picture of God doing this very same thing. A world he had created that that had seemingly spun out of control. Darkness had crept in. And God says, this is is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way I designed things to be. And so he enters in. And and the picture John paints is one of beginnings. And he's he's playing off the beginning of creation. And he tells a story that's part of a bigger story. Up to this time, the the Jews knew the book of Genesis. And this 
God who created out of nothing. There was darkness and chaos. And this God spoke light and order into being. He, he put purpose and meaning in creation. He had a plan. And on the sixth day, He creates mankind in His image. To rule for Him. To represent Him. To reflect Him into His good creation. It was all good. And within a few chapters... Darkness creeps in. Things spin out of control. When Adam and Eve are parents, the parents of humanity, make a choice that causes sin to enter into the world. And darkness and decay and death get introduced to God's good creation. But we find in the book of John, in his introduction, a dawning of a new day. And he he introduces a story behind the creation story. A story about rescue that's actually been since the beginning. He begins his book by saying this. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Separate from God, but with God. And yet he says, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The opening verses of John's Gospel, he talks about this dawning of a new day where chaos and darkness had threatened to take over God's good order of creation, this new light is entering in. This new light that that verse 4 says the darkness cannot overcome. Verse 5, the darkness cannot overcome. This word, this logos that we'll see next week was Jesus Christ Himself and He came with purpose and meaning. God had a plan and it came from eternity past. And we find as we unlock this Gospel of John that that Jesus Christ is the true man, the true crown of God's creation. And now in, in new ways and in a new day, God robes Himself in flesh and becomes a man. A new creation of a new man for a new day for God's world. And this is the how the story unfolds in the Gospel of John. And, and this writer, this is not the same John that we see in verse 6. John the Baptist is in verse 6. This John that wrote the Gospel of John was a disciple of Jesus. He was loved by Jesus. He's known as the beloved disciple. Five times in this book, he's recognized as the one that Jesus loved. 
He had a very special relationship with Jesus. And he lived with Jesus in close proximity for three years in his earthly ministry. And this is the man who wrote this book, who had an intimate awareness of Jesus and his mission. Who was personally affected and personally benefited by Christ's love as God entered into the world. And he's the one who writes this. He tells us in chapter 21, verse 24, he says, this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So this beloved disciple is the one who pens this book. And he tells us why. In chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in His name. So we don't have to question why John wrote this book. As we unpack this book, we we see that this God who saw darkness trying to overtake His good creation brought new light in through His Son, Jesus Christ, because He so loved the world, we'll see in chapter 3, that He wouldn't let it spin off into chaos. He so loved His creative handiwork that He gave His Son. He knew the only way to purchase redemption was at the cost of His own Son's life. And so God the Son puts on the flesh of mankind and He comes into our darkness to bring us hope and life. And and John writes this book so we'll see this Jesus and so we will believe. But interestingly, as we journey through John together, we're going to find that belief in Jesus, within John's perspective, is much more than intellectual assent. It's more than theological categories people check off about Jesus. In John, the word for believe is a verb. You could say faithing. They were faithing in Jesus. So in John's mind, to to genuinely, authentically believe in Jesus is reflected in the behavior of a disciple. And and he he did not have a category in his mind that, that you could have an intellectual affirmation of who Jesus was historically and have a lifestyle that did not follow him in his mission. And as this beloved disciple followed Jesus, he began to realize that disciples are called to follow and obey Jesus. Disciples are sent to continue Christ's mission to the world, to bring the light of the gospel to the dark places that remain in God's world when Jesus went back to his Father. John saw that true disciples are called to a radical love for one another as a testimony to the world that their God was who He said He was.
And John began to realize that a true, authentic disciple, when abiding in Christ, was obedient in a way that brought lasting joy. Fruit producing obedience that brought about lasting joy. And anything short of this type of fruit producing obedience was not authentic discipleship. That's the picture John paints. That's the journey we'll be on together. And this is really the burden behind our series. As we gathered as a pastoral team early this year, trying to discern and pray what God would have us to do, we, we want to be a fruit-bearing, joy-filled people of God in our community. We want to be a people who take light into dark places, who bring hope into hopeless situations, who don't wait for people to come into our doors, but who go out into those places where the enemy has blinded their eyes in unbelief and bring them the hope and the light of the gospel. A community that's in deep, intimate fellowship with one another, known by their love for one another, their investment in one another. And this is what John says it truly means to abide in Christ. John 15, beginning in verse 5, says, I am the vine, this is Jesus speaking, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So God's glory is intimately connected to the fruit we bear that proves we're His disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So fruit-producing obedience is directly connected to God's glory and our joy. And John continues to paint this picture. And as a pastoral team, we want to be leaders who are leading a congregation into this kind of joy, this kind of God-glorifying joy. We don't want to just be people who are checking off theological categories of who Jesus is. We want to abide in Christ in a way that our lives are marked by His mission. That light and the proclamation of the light is going out into dark places as God has done with us. And as He sacrificially entered into our darkness, 
leaving his comforts behind, risking his reputation, giving up his riches and glory, spending his time and energy to bring healing and hope, to glorify his Father, and to have fullness of joy. We want to do the same. And I think in contemporary cultural Christianity, many of us can lose sight of the mission and Christianity becomes a a form of sin management. And I, I see this in counseling at times. You know, and, and, and the gospel is no less than that. We, we are saved and called to be sanctified. So God saves us. But, but I think what happens when we get into sin management is we realize we can't come before a holy God. We realize we've done wrongs in our lives that need to be made right. And we have no way to make payment for that. And we see Jesus standing in our place. And, and we believe on Him. But if we don't attach to this mission that God has to the world, it just becomes about not sinning too aggressively so that we can go to heaven when we die. And it, and it doesn't attach to God's mission. And what happens is, we, we lack a level of joy God designs in the mission And when the honeymoon stage is over of the fact that we now have heaven because we believed on Jesus, we get bored. And we start looking for joy in other places. And at worst, we we go back to our sin, which is where I see it in counseling at times. Or at best, we, we do moral things, but we just busy our lives with stuff that Jesus says is, is like weeds that choke out the fruit that the gospel wants to bear in our lives. We just busy ourselves to death. And we're looking for a joy that can't be found in this life because we're not attaching to God's mission. And we have this joy void. And it's because we're missing a significant element of our calling. And Jesus invites us into lasting joy. And if the ultimate goal is to manage our sin, we, we really miss the mark of God's ultimate mission. I had a friend in high school. This is back when jet skis first came out. They've come a long way since then. But my friend's dad was a barber. I used to get my hair cut there back when I had hair. It's easy now. You just pay 20 bucks once every five years and buzz it. But um, six bucks a haircut. So my friend's dad, at great cost and great sacrifice, purchased a jet ski for his kids. They lived on the river. And my friend... Went out on the river, and man, for the first week, he just drove that thing to death. But his dad noticed within a couple of weeks that Stephen stopped riding the jet ski. And, and it kind of made his dad mad. You know, he spent all this money, this great sacrifice to himself, and within a week's time, it's just sitting in the driveway. 
And so he goes and he asks Stephen, he's like, hey man, you know, what's going on? Why aren't you driving a jet ski? And, he, and, and hesitantly, he didn't want to be honest, but he was bored with it. The newness had wore off and he just wasn't excited anymore. And so his dad starts probing a little bit because he can't fathom how you could possibly be tired of a jet ski within a week. And again, these things were new on the market. Nobody had stuff like this before. And so what the dad finds out through the process is Stephen was just getting on this jet ski and driving it straight down the river, turning around, driving it straight back. And the dad's like, well, that's not what it's designed for. Like, I, I was talking to these sales guys, and they said, man, you can, like, get behind, you know, boats with big wakes. You can jump them up in the air. You can nosedive them down under the water. You can, you know, zip them back out, jump out of the water. You can go full speed that way and just cut it to the left or to the right. And it'll, even if it flips over, you just flip it back over and hop on and go for a ride. And Stephen, he didn't have any category for that. And, and he's, man, that's not, no, that's not possible. I mean, this is a, this is a, a male high schooler. You know, you're, you're, you're empowering a male high schooler to go be a reckless driver. That's just not one of the categories of, of a male high school kid. And so he's, man, dad, you're crazy. That's, you know, that's not, you're going to break it. And he's like, no, look, son, I paid for this thing and I talked to the salesman and they said these things are engineered for this. They're designed to do this. And if, if we can't trust the engineer in his design to do what it says it's going to do, then we, we're going to take it back. And so Stephen goes out and sure enough has a blast. And I mean, this thing, he's riding it all the time, you know, never gets off of it. And, and his joy was maximized. But he was finally putting the jet ski to its proper use. And in many ways, I just wonder how much of our Christian lives are, are lived out of boredom. We just shelf what God has for us because we're not trusting Him for how He's designed it to work. That our ultimate joy is not found in looking around in this life to be happy. It's found in His mission. And the places we fear, the dark places He wants us to go, are actually the very places where we're going to find joy. And yet, those are the places we avoid. Out of fear and unknowns. We fear our reputations. We fear danger. We fear what people will think of us. We fear rejection. But the engineer of this plan says, that's where our joy is found. It's when you stand on the edge of God's mission and darkness is all around and you bring a message of light that chases away darkness and you see in real time God do a miracle and light shines into dark places. And, and how many of us lack a level of joy because we lack partnership in His mission together? And how many of us lose sight of the dark place we were when Christ found us? And came to us, not with, with heavy judgment and not with an iron fist, but He came with compassion. Like a woman at the well who's been running to men 
to satisfy her. Probably living in insecurities. She's had numerous husbands and the man she's with is not her husband. And Jesus is like, that's never going to satisfy. Only when you drink of the living water will you truly be happy. And he comes with compassion. He doesn't come with a heavy hand. And, and you think back on, on Christ coming to us in compassion. And now he says, I want you to be that person in people's lives who are still blinded by their sin. Those people in your neighborhood. Those people in your workplace. Those people in your family. He, he wants to push us to enter in with compassion and care and hope. He wants to help us point them to the place where they'll really be satisfied. And like the jet ski, I just wonder, you know, when we're just back and forth to church, back and forth to work, maybe listening to Christian radio, back and forth to athletic events, and we wonder why we don't have joy. And God says, man, you're, you're, not, you're not paired up with my design. You're not paired up with what I've crafted this plan to be and how I want to use you to be a part of that plan. And, and so our heart's desire as we walk through this series is that we would be arrested by this ministry of Jesus as he meets all these different people in all these different places. And brings hope to hopeless situations. And brings this amazing sacrificial love of God. That says, I'm not okay. With what's happening to my world. And I love it so much, I'm going to invest there. And he calls us to do the same. And, and we want to see Jesus there. We want to be compelled to follow him. And we want our faith to be a verb, to walk with him. And to love as he loves. Now, briefly, I want to give an example outside of John. We're going to be moving into John in more detail. I'm just kind of trying to give an overview today and burden of why we're, we're get, getting into this series. Um, but we'll be down in the details coming next week. But this is a picture that carries into the early church. And, and the reason I want to draw this out is, is because this gospel paints a picture of, of God entering in a new creation to bring light into dark places and to, to open blind eyes and to make new creation. And then we'll, we'll get John telling us that, that those who really follow Jesus' disciples do the same. And so you, you get this picture in the early church. And so Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 3-5 through 5, paints this same picture. Same language. Just jump to a couple of places here. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, these are believers, we all with unveiled face, our eyes have been opened. 
Behold the glory of the Lord. So we see Jesus for who He really is because of the Spirit's work to open our eyes. And being transformed, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who's the Spirit. So, so Paul here is saying that when God opens our eyes to the Gospel, the Spirit opens our eyes and then applies this picture of Jesus in a way that makes us like Jesus. So we're to, to walk as He walked. We're to live as He lived. We're to serve as He served. Sacrifice as He sacrificed. Love and show compassion and all those things that He gives us in the Gospels as an example. Paul goes on to say that there's a God of this world that has darkened the minds and the hearts of unbelievers. And yet, God is, is making light shine out of dark places. And so he's, he's painting this picture of how we're called as instruments to proclaim. And, and he, he says in verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith, According to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. So he's saying, faith has an action verb. If we believe in Jesus, we're going to open our mouths. If we believe in Jesus, we're going to proclaim. If we believe, we speak. Look at verse 15. For this is all for your sake. So that as grace extends, so as we, as we take on this person of Jesus and as we go and proclaim, this grace extends to more and more people so that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Okay, so Paul's motivation here is taking on the image of Christ and proclaiming this message to the world increases God's glory because more people come around His throne because we're entering into dark places and the darkness is not overcoming the light. And in Paul's mind, if we don't go proclaim, we're going to limit the scope of those who are around the throne. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. How will they know if they don't have someone proclaiming? And so he says, we, we do this for the glory of God. And in verse 11 of chapter 5, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Uh, let me jump down for sake of time. Um, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ... Now, now follow this line of logic. Who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he goes on to explain. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. Just what God did in Christ in reconciling the world God is now doing through us. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ then to be reconciled to God. 
for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This ministry of reconciliation is is carrying forward the ministry of Jesus on earth through his disciples. And the early church had this picture in mind and they carried it forward for their joy and for the glory of God. And and we want to be this kind of church. We want to pray as we go through this series that God would work deep conviction in us to, to be invested in the people's lives around us. People who will never come into these doors unless God opens their eyes outside of these walls. And He calls us to go. And He calls us to love. And He calls us to give. And He calls us to sacrifice. And it's ultimately for God's glory and our joy. I came across a quote. I'll uh, end with this as I have the worship team come back. This just captured it all for me. I ran across this quote this week. This is by J. Campbell White. Uh, he's an Ohio guy. Worcester, I think, is where he was born. Um, he was the secretary of the YMCA and then a president of a college in Ohio. He says, think about that sin management picture I was sharing earlier and the joy that comes in being on mission with God. He says, most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. So, get to the end of your life, most people aren't satisfied. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within His followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world He came to redeem. So you won't be satisfied unless you get on God's mission. Fame pleasure and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of His eternal plans. The men who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. So let's make it our prayer as God's people that that we would be after God's most sweetest and priceless rewards as His people here on earth. Let's pray.